I'm glad to be here um, um, and thrilled. We, Westgate loves you and um, prays for you almost every day and holds um, Ryan and his whole team, Jay and the rest of them, all in high regard. And so if you're here, I've had several people come up to me and say, hey, you know, I, we still like Westgate, but we came over with, a, with Awakening and it's okay. We wanted you to. Don't let it be funky. It's not funky with me. I'm glad you're here. Um, in fact, we really like it without you there over at Westgate, and so it's a, no, just kidding. But um, don't let it be funky. We are we are thrilled about what God's uh, doing here and what God is going to continue to do um, in this community. We're we're absolutely thrilled. You're in a series called Curious, and um, I've been given the task of talking to you about the difficult topic of does God care. And it's wrestling with the problem of pain and suffering. And um, I would have to say that I really didn't think much about this question at all um, through the first part of my life. Um, in fact, I read, a, I read a biography, was reading a biography about a guy named um, Robert Murray McShane. And he only lived to be 29 years old. And he was a great missionary um, and he said about the first part of his life that he lived his life as if he were kissing the rose with no mind for the thorns. And I just, when I read that, I thought, oh, that is such an appropriate description of the way that I lived the first parts of my life. And so I just, I kissed the rose with no thought of the thorns and just kind of lived life, pretty much believed I was Superman and indestructible and didn't think that the problems that I saw around me would ever finally affect me. And so if you're here and you say, wow, does God care? I mean, you know, I don't really care <laughs> if uh, this whole pain and suffering thing, um, that, that would be, that's all right. That would be okay. But I will tell you that there will come a day when you will kiss the rose and you'll come away with bloody lips and you'll notice the thorns. In fact, William Lane Craig says, the problem of evil and suffering in our world is certainly the greatest obstacle to belief in the existence of God. Now, we won't resolve this tonight, okay? So um, people have been wrestling with this for thousands of years, so I don't expect that what I have to say tonight is going to necessarily resolve this whole conflict for everybody in the room. I'm not that naive, um, nor that arrogant, but I would like to talk to you, just to kind of give you an idea of what we're going to do, I would like to talk to you a little bit about the problem, philosophically and emotionally, and then talk a little bit about where um, I've found some solace and some comfort in my own pain and suffering, uh, where I've found some, some comfort in terms of some things that I believe are promises that are true about God, and then maybe close up with a little bit of a story. Okay, is that all right? All right, so let me pray for us. Actually, let me pray for me, mostly, and for you some. God, thanks for the chance to gather. Thank you that you are here among us in a very special and prominent way. And we need you. Father, I need you. I, I long for your word to be clear. I long for me to accurately represent um, your heart to these folks. And it is beyond me. It is, it is beyond uh, my abilities. And so, Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher. Move strongly among us that we might 
know you better, and love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This problem is, is such a unique and big problem in theological circles that it has its own theological term. It's called theodicy. Theodicy is a combination of a word, theos, which is for God, and dike, which is justice. And it's the wrestling with how can there be justice and God and how is it all working when the world seems so random and so out of control at times. And the, the argument philosophically is basically this. If God is all good, he would destroy evil. If God is all powerful, he could destroy evil. But evil is not destroyed. Therefore, there is no such God. Now, what this argument presupposes is that evil and a good, all-knowing, all-powerful God cannot coexist. Now, that, that argument, I would suggest to you philosophically, is just unproven. Be, based on what? What if there is a chance that there are actually moral imperatives based on the character of God that allow for evil and God to coexist. And I would suggest to you that there are in fact some of those. And it would go like this. God cannot do what is actually impossible. Now, I wish I'd have known that term when I was in college because I spent a whole lot of time arguing with people about things that are actually impossible. Did you know God cannot do what is actually impossible? He cannot make a round triangle. It just violates the laws of definition. It's actually impossible. There are other things that God cannot do. He cannot learn. There are just things that are, because of the way God is defined, it's actually impossible for him because it's a, it's a violation of some of the laws and definitions. It's, it becomes basically nonsense. A round triangle so, here's the argument that I'm talking about philosophically. Now, we're just, I know you're starting to glaze over now. You're saying, man, dude, come on. It just, you, I think it's important that we take a look at this philosophically before we go and look at something else. So, God cannot do what is actually impossible. It is actually impossible to destroy evil without destroying free choice. Now, think about that for just a minute. What I'm suggesting to you is that there was, a, there was an agenda in the mind and heart of God that was beyond our happiness. It was beyond a, a world where everyone floated around in this state of joy. There was something greater in the heart and mind of God, and that was a loving relationship with his children. Now, you cannot have, it is actually impossible to have a loving relationship with anyone unless they can choose you. For example, guys, if you're here with a girl tonight and you had given her a pill to come, she would be here with you and it might look to the rest of us like you're in relationship, but we actually, what's going on, know that you're in a chemically induced state. She wouldn't have anything to do with you if you didn't give her the pill. In fact, some of us right now are looking around going, that dude must have given her a pill because what is she doing with him? 
What you could be is you could appear to be in relationship, but would we all agree that you are not in relationship because choice has to be part of that. And so God can't do what is actually impossible, and it's actually impossible to destroy evil without destroying choice. Now watch this. But free choice is necessary to a moral universe. Free choice is actually philosophically necessary. We have to be able to choose in order to be held accountable for the decisions that we make. For it to have any morality and not robotic and all determinative, there's got to be choice. Therefore, God cannot destroy evil without destroying this good moral universe. There will come a time, according to the scriptures, that he will stop evil. But at that time, he also stops choice. So what I want to suggest to you, and this is a gross skimming over the top, is that philosophically, it's not actually that difficult for us to wrestle with this problem. Philosophically, we can kind of come to this understanding that it's a pretty hard Thing to determine and to, to define that there can't be a universe where God and evil could coexist. But that's not enough because the truth is when evil comes into our life and pain comes into our life, what we want to know is who do we blame? <laughs> we're pissed. We're angry. We're hurt. And we're, we want to know who's to blame. That's really more of the hard part about it. Well, I just took some time really quickly, and again, I apologize for this because it's a gross skimming along the top, but I just took some time just to say, okay, what options do you have for picking who to blame? Well, an atheist would hold that there is no God, but there is evil. And so evil that happens to you is actually just a combination of time and chance and space and just dumb luck. There's no God, but there's certainly evil here, and there's no one to blame. It just happens. You know the bumper sticker? Beep, happens. (laughs) Well, it does. And when it does, the atheist has no idea where beep came from. (laughs) They just know it happens. You could be a pantheist, which here's a great definition for pantheism. It's where the universe is identical to divinity. Okay? Everything is God. You, me, chairs, lights, floor, mic stands, everything. So they cannot say that evil exists because that would make God evil. So in a pantheistic world, there's no evil, but there's a God. So what do you do with the the apparent evil? Well, it's there only because you just aren't God-like enough. So if you just get your stuff together, evil will be gone. Try harder. Work more. The theist, someone who believes that God is personal, knowable, and active in our world, believes that both evil and God exist at the same time. And there's the wrestling match. The other two, one, there is no God. The other one, everything's God. There is no evil. What's this stuff then? Why does life suck? Well, it's just, you're just not godly enough. It's not really there. Oh, 
So just real quickly, I'm, again, I'm on the point of who do you want to blame. Let's look at the four largest religions of the world. Hinduism says, just keep working, you'll get it. Evil will be gone if you just get it worked out good enough. Buddhism says, it's your fault last time. If your life sucks now, it's because you were a turd last life. <laughs> you, just, you were such a, a screw-up last time that you're suffering for it now. Islam would say that it's God's fault. Now, it's, it's, there would also be branches of Christianity that would say, they would say it this way, it's, it's God knows what he's doing, shut up and stop whining about it. And then the Christian would say, it's man's fault. God wanted there to be a choice because he wanted relationship. And mankind is in a general state of rebellion against God. God intervened in that rebellion, entered into it personally in the person of Jesus Christ. Suffered and died for our rebellion paid a price so that relationship is even easier still and invites us to that over and over and over again. Now, in the midst of this, what do we cling to? I want to get back to the question of God cares in just a minute, but just in the midst of this wrestling match... In my own life, I have found a couple of promises. One promise has to do with purpose, and one promise has to do with after this, something other than this life. So let me talk to you really briefly about this. As you enter into some kind of suffering, Christianity would actually teach that there's a purpose behind it. That there's something going on and you may not understand it. You may not ever get the answer to the question why. But that there is the assurance that there is purpose behind what's going on. Now what might that purpose be? Well, I want to suggest to you that it could be two different things. Generally, and very specifically in your own life. Generally, it could be that there are things in your life that you will only pay attention to if it hurts. C.S. Lewis says it's this way. He says that pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. The truth is, in my own life, maybe I don't want to throw you under the bus, but in my own life, if, if I got everything I wanted, if God was really a Santa Claus and just gave me everything, I would never acknowledge anything about him other than what I wanted next. Pain serves the purpose of getting our attention off of the commercials that are lying to us and tells us there's maybe more to this life then the next watch, the next girl, the next guy, the next class, the next car, the next job. But there's another purpose. 
Not only is there the purpose of, of drawing people to God, but there's also the purpose that we inadvertently, kind of in second person, draw people to God. Here's the reality is that when I walk through this life and have some hard times and, and I react to it in submission to God as a loving and good God, when people see that, that is one of the strongest apologetics on the existence of God ever. It's even better than cleaning up the school. It's even better than scraping gum. Scraping gum's great. I mean, I've done that. I, I get it. It's, that's a great thing. But you know what's even better? Is when people that are close to you watch you go through a hard time and you choose to trust instead of wine. And when you do, people just go, edit. Sorry, the word I thought about was damn, but that's not right. That's not appropriate. So that. <laughs> We're not taping this, are we? Anyway. Forgot to ask. People watch it and just go, wow. That's, that's what, that's faith. Do you know that that act of obedience when it's hard is so beautiful, so winsome that the scriptures say that angels look and long to peer into your life when you, when you react that way. It is so powerful that angels pay attention to it. So emotionally, I want to tell you, you're going to blame somebody? Maybe it's mostly just the piling on of the freedom of choice that exists so that a loving God could be part of your life. And that there is some purpose behind the things that are hard for you. That it will make you better, stronger, more loving, kinder, humbler. And that as people watch that character grow in you, they'll actually step back and say, there might be a God in heaven. So there's purpose behind some of the pain. But there's also a promise. And here's the promise. This is not all there is. As good as this is, it can get better still. Let me read to you a passage in 2 Corinthians. If you want to turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I think it's in your handout too. Is it on the screen too? <laughs> You're awesome, JQM. You can come back to Westgate anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if it's Jay back there. I mean, I can't, I can't see nothing. You got these two lights that are looking. I, I feel like I'm about to get hit by a car. <laughs> these are headlights just... I, I wait for a horn any minute. I keep looking up and go, my, yeah, I know. If somebody honks, I'm going to hit the ground or dive over there or something. Second <laughs> Corinthians 4, verse 16. In the context here, Paul has kind of talked about how hard his life is following after Christ. 
And he talks about a lot of the different things that are, that are difficult for him. And in the midst of that, then he says in verse 16, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles, and he had a lot of them, jail, people were trying to kill him, people hated him. He says, our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Wow. Let me, let me tell you what the scriptures say about life. You may tell you what, basically what it says about life. This is going to really cheer you up. Life is short and hard. Don't you feel better? <laughs> I wish I could tell you it's, oh, it's so long and it's just so joyous. The scriptures teach that it's actually short, really short, and really hard. They produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at these troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our eyes, uh, gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. And then he goes on to say, you, we're actually going to have an experience where we're going to have a different kind of a body. Where all of, the, all of the pains, all of the ills, all of the handicaps, all of the shortcomings, all of the results of poor choices after generation, after generation, after generation that have been passed down to mankind are actually going to be all gone. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that when the earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. This is not all there is. Most of you maybe know, or maybe only a few of you know, that on March 22nd, 2012, my wife and I received a knock on the door, which is every parent's worst nightmare. And my youngest son, Clay, um, a couple of his friends were knocking on the door. And, they, and as they knocked on the door, they, I opened it, and I was worried, of course, at midnight. Nobody usually does that. And, and they said, Clay's gone. And when they first said it, my wife and I were like, what? Gone? Where? What do you mean, gone? Well, after a series of questions, we made some phone calls to the police department in Eugene, Oregon, and we confirmed that our youngest son at age 25 had been found um, dead, um, alone, in a home that he was staying in. There was a lot of confusion about the cause of death and, and some things that were going on there. And as we listened to it, yeah, to say that our world was rocked is just such an understatement. It's, it's just crazy. I wasn't sure at the first, at the five o'clock services, really the first time I've spoken really openly about it. It's not like I've been hiding it, but I haven't really talked about some of the things that God showed me in the midst of that. And I want to get back to the question, does God care? Because I don't have answers to my why questions. But I have a really good answer to my question about God's care.
Clay had not walked with the Lord for about five or six years, and he was living in Eugene, Oregon. He had recently started using cocaine and had been involved in, in kind of some construction work that exposed him to what we think is some kind of a poison or something because there was a combination of carbon monoxide poisoning and something that he had inhaled that caused a, a small aneurysm in his head where his, one of his eyes filled up with blood. And immediately, um, I guess what every father would think is, I just thought I wasn't there for him. I, he, he died all alone. And I was, I couldn't get those thoughts out of my head. I just couldn't quit thinking about it. I thought, I'll never preach again. I'll, I'll, I'll never, I don't, know, I don't know if I'll ever even pray again. And through a series of events, a woman at the church at Westgate called and said, listen, I, I got a song that God has said for me to give to you, and I don't, I don't know why. It, it's not a... It's not a. It's a weird song. Um, but she she started telling me a story that said I'm, she she told God I'm not giving it to Steve. It's too edgy. It might send Steve down a bad path. And she got in her car one morning after feeling again that she was supposed to give it to me and send me this song. And she got in the car and she said, "I God, I am not. I am not sending Steve this song. I am not sending this song unless you show me by the time I get to work." that I definitely should send it. And then she reached over and turned on her radio and hit a button to get off her normal station, and the song was playing. And it was this. I found God on the corner of First and Lamestad Where the West was all but one all alone Smoking his last cigarette I said, where you been? He said, ask anything Where were you? When everything was falling apart All my days Spent by Lost and insecure, you found me. You found me lying on the floor. And all of, when that song played, I knew, I, I, know, I know I can't explain it, I can tell you that all of the wrestling of my own heart saying, God, I should have been there. My son should not, he should not die alone. 
Should have been there with him. I just couldn't get it out of my head. And then God said, through this silly song, lost and insecure, you found me. God found him lying on the floor. And this word, surrounded. Surrounded. My question, why'd you have to wait? Where were you? You're a little late, God. And he said, yeah, but I found him. I will take care of him until you come and join us. I can't tell you how powerful this song became in my life. How times when I got up to preach, times when I, the grief became like a dog that always followed around me every day. And sometimes the dog was a little chihuahua. You know, you can just get rid of a chihuahua just get, <laughs> if you don't like it. But sometimes my grief would morph into this Doberman, and he would be biting me in the butt. And the Dobermans, here's the thing about Dobermans. When they bite, you got to pay attention. Some days I couldn't even function. I couldn't even, I couldn't even leave the house. And God just poured into my life over and over again. I've got him. I've got him for you, Steve. Got him. Never, never in all my life, and I've been a Christian a long time, has heaven been more real to me now than now. Never has the opportunity to go to heaven been more anticipated than it is now. Does God care? God cares enough that he'll take some silly bald dude and, and right in the middle of his pain, give him a song that will sustain him. Now, I don't know where you're at. And I don't, you may think, wow, that's a reach, some song by the fray. It's, it's even weird, God smoking a cigarette. What are you talking about? Listen, all I'm telling you is God met me there. That's all I got to say. I don't understand it. I didn't get all my questions answered. I'm still pissed about what Clay misses, about what I miss from him. But the question, does God care, honestly, has never been a question for me. He has shown it in such remarkable ways through the people around me, through the people that I work with, even people I don't know. I will tell you this. I don't know why bad stuff happens. I don't know why if you're here and your life has been hard. I don't know why it happens to you and then somebody right down the row that you're sitting on, they're doing all fine. But I know this. One of the reasons is never that God doesn't care for you. He knows your name. He's known it since before you were born. He has risked all of the evil that is going on. He's allowing it to continue so that you can choose to love him and respond to his great love for you. I would just encourage you, as I even encourage myself, this is not all there is. This is... The pain in your life has a purpose. And God so loved this world that he submitted himself to the same 
pain and evil and then conquered death by rising on the third day. Does God care? More than we could ever imagine. Enough to leave the glory of heaven and enter into the muck and mire. Let me pray for you. Oh, one thing. Raise your heads back up. <laughs> I can't see if you were really doing that because this car is about to hit me. <laughs> this is a, a card that someone made me. This is Clay. And he's on the beach, and this is his dog that, that I now have named Ruse. And this is funny. That's one of my favorite pictures of Clay because his butt's just pointing at me. But he loved this dog, and just this whole thing just communicates so much about Clay. And inside of it, there's this poem, and it says this. Perhaps Clay will land upon that shore, not in full sail, but rather a bit of broken wreckage for Christ to gather. Perhaps Christ walks those shores, seeking such who have believed a little, suffered much, and so been washed ashore. Perhaps of all the souls redeemed, they most adore. The wonder of Christ is, even if your life has not been all you'd hoped for it to be, as Clay's life was not all that I had hoped for him, Christ's love is unconditional for you. And if you will simply trust him, there is nothing that can separate you from that love. Now let's pray. Thank you, God, that you have communicated your love to us in such a clear way that the question, does God care, is tough even to wander about. You've expressed that care, expressed that concern, and expressed your love in such a powerful way in allowing your only son to come and die for us. That you choose that is so amazing to me. I thank you for the way you have sustained my life, the way you have communicated your care for me. And I ask that in Jesus' name, you would do the same kinds of things for the folks here that have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are open. I pray you would flood them with your presence. and with the reality of your love and concern. And I ask this for them in Jesus' name. Amen.